Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting, and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Breedy. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on financial reporting. And I'm joined again by the amazing Tony DeBell. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Ruth. And due to the uh, due to the current environment, we're actually recording this virtually. So hopefully <laughs> it goes OK. But on on that point, so obviously the COVID-19 outbreak, outbreak has been declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. As we've discussed before, it's having a huge impact on everything. Um, but one of those things is the accounting implications um, and everything's moving very rapidly and the uncertainty means, you know, it's difficult to account for some of these things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to try and talk about some of the broad issues to help people out in the short term. And then over the coming weeks, we'll bring out more podcasts on very specific areas. So for example, the impact on the impairment test or the impact on fair value. So hopefully watch this space and you'll see more coming out. So let's start at the top then, Tony. How widespread are the accounting implications? I think that's a good place to start. I think the answer to that is extremely widespread. Uh, it's quite hard at the moment to think of an entity that isn't going to be affected one way or another by the impact of the virus, the measures taken to control the virus, and then the measures taken by governments around the world to support economies and businesses. Uh, for many entities, revenues are going to be reduced, costs might increase, if you think about that, then having a knock-on effect for the banks that lend to these entities and so on. Overall, I think the conclusion is that the accounting implications of the virus uh, are now almost completely widespread. Yeah, so massive impact there. What What is the key accounting issue? So the pervasive issue here is uncertainty. None of us know what's going to happen next with the virus, what's going to happen next around measures being taken by governments, or indeed how long any of this is going to last. I think the accounting standards address pretty much all of the issues that are going to arise and the issues that we're going to talk about on this and subsequent podcasts. But I think the key challenge for management at many entities is going to be making the judgments that they need to make to support their accounting against a background of significant uncertainty. Yeah, uncertainty is definitely the, the key thing here. And I think everything's changing so quickly and we just don't know what's going to happen next. We haven't seen this before. Um, so what does this uncertainty mean for financial reporting? I think, as I said, the uncertainty is pervasive. And so it's going to ripple through all aspects of reporting. Uh, so, for example, impairment, measurement of assets and so forth. But we'll talk about those in a minute. I think the thing to, to begin with is to emphasize the overarching issue, which is around communication and disclosure. When there is uncertainty, when there's increased uncertainty and increased risk, I think it's essential that management explain the assumptions that it's made uh, in connection with, for example, impairment tests and so on, and explain the risks and sensitivities associated with those judgments. The presentation standard, IS1, includes specific requirements to disclose the most significant judgments made in applying an entity's accounting policies and to disclose the most significant estimation uncertainty. Individual standards contain specific requirements for disclosure of risks and uncertainties in even more detail. I think management should also bear in mind any disclosure requirements that have been imposed by local regulators in response to just, just, just what's going on at the moment. So disclosure is key. It's important that management explains the judgments it's made and explains the risks and uncertainties. I think many entities 
are likely to be addressing the issues arising from coronavirus for the first time in interim financial reports. And in that context, it's important to remember that many of the disclosures that I've talked about uh, before and that we'll talk about as as we go through this podcast are going to be relevant in the context of interim reports. So interim reports should address all of these issues comprehensively, and they might end up being a bit more extensive than they have been previously. Yeah, very timely advice there for people listening in and have got a quarter um, coming up. So what are the most significant standards in those specific areas of accounting? So uh, I'll start with one of the the fundamental concepts that underlies most financial reporting, which is that financial statements are typically prepared on a going concern basis. Now, unfortunately, in some cases, the impact of measures taken to control the spread of the virus might have uh, such a significant impact on an entity's cash flows that it's no longer a going concern, or perhaps um, those measures have created significant doubt about an entity's ability to remain a going concern. Now, in these circumstances, the presentation standard, IS1 again, requires that an entity explain the basis on which the financial statements are prepared if the going concern basis is not applied. Now, it may be that this is something that happens only rarely, because in many cases where the going concern basis is no longer appropriate, then IFRS financial statements aren't going to be prepared at all. But if IFRS financial statements are prepared and a different basis is used, then IAS1 requires the basis of preparation is explained. The standard also requires specific disclosures when there's significant doubt about an entity's ability to remain a going concern. And so that's explaining the judgments that have been made, explaining why management has got comfortable that the going concern basis is appropriate. And one thing to remember here is that events after the reporting date that would otherwise be non-adjusting are always adjusting if they relate to the decision around whether or not an entity is a going concern. Okay, so big picture there, fundamental thing is obviously people need to look at that going concern assessment. If we assume that the entity is a going concern, what would be sort of your your list of things people need to watch out for at a high level? So I guess top of the list is going to be asset carrying values. And in particular, whether asset carrying values need to be written down or impaired. So let's start with non-financial assets. Goodwill and indefinite lived intangible assets are tested once a year, more often if there are impairment indicators. Uh, Finite lived intangibles, property, plant and equipment are tested for impairment whenever there is an indicator. So step one here for management is to decide whether the events of the last couple of months give rise to an indication of impairment. I think there will be perhaps many situations where these events do give rise to an indication of impairment. That means property, plant and equipment, finite lived intangibles need to be tested. Goodwill and indefinite lived intangibles need to be tested outside of the ordinary cycle. So if management's concluded, yes, there is an indicator of impairment, then the assets will need to be tested. I think the models and the forecasts used to test for impairment obviously need to be updated to reflect both the current situation, but also the increased risk and uncertainty. Uh, And one of the things that management might consider doing in this circumstance is to use an expected value approach uh, rather than just using a single projection of cash flows. An expected value approach would allow management to consider the risk and uncertainty by perhaps running a number of different potential outcomes. The other thing that will need to be updated in the in the in, in the context of the impairment test is the uh, the discount rate. 
which will need to reflect changes in the risk-free rate, but also changes in the other factors that are used to derive the discount rate. I think that's probably the most significant um, uh, issue in connection with non-financial assets, although it's important for folks to be aware that inventories need to be stated at net realizable value. This may have become lower. Uh, and to remember that inventory includes an allocation of overheads, but that allocation is based on normal levels of production. Okay, really helpful there. So and from a non-financial, I think we've focused on first, obviously impairment is going to be probably one of the biggest things people are thinking about. And bringing out a point there, I think the probability expected values, I think you call it probability weighted scenarios is always going to be helpful here because you, there's so many different things that could happen. So I think um, really good advice. And that's why going back to what I said before about disclosures, yeah, disclosing the assumptions made and the risks and perhaps sensitivities is going to be particularly important in the current climate. Okay, so we talked about non-financial assets there, but thinking moving to the other side, financial assets, obviously this could have a massive implication on some entities, you know, namely banks. Could you talk us through some of that? Yeah, so I think any entity that has financial assets that are in the scope of IFRS9's expected credit loss model needs to have a think. Uh, for some entities, you mentioned banks, this may be the single most significant issue. So the thing to remember when uh, you're looking at the expected credit loss model is that it's a forward-looking model. And therefore, uh, management needs to take into account forward-looking information, forward-looking macroeconomic information in order to determine the expected credit loss provision that it needs to make. Uh, and the impact of the virus is going to affect pretty much every aspect of the expected credit loss calculation. And firstly, you need to think about the stage of the expected credit loss uh, calculation. So at stage one, the expected credit loss is going to be based on 12 months expected credit losses. Uh, if a particular receivable or loan moves from stage one to stage two because there's been a significant increase in credit risk, then at that stage, you move to recognizing the lifetime expected credit losses. Uh, and lifetime expected credit losses are also recognized uh, when uh, a particular asset moves to stage three. So the impact of the coronavirus is, is certainly going to have an impact on whether or not, uh, in some cases, there's been a significant increase in credit risk. Moving on to the calculation itself, there are sort of three features to the calculation of the expected credit risk. The risk of default, um, which is the probability of default, the amount outstanding if there is a default, and the loss on that amount if there is a default. So all of those things will be affected uh, by the impact of the coronavirus and the measures taken to control it. And I think it's important to emphasize there's no right way to do this. Management's going to have to make some judgments. And so at the risk of sounding like a broken record, <laughs> good disclosure of the assumptions and the approach management has used is key. One of the things that, that, that will also have to be factored in is you know, the impact of measures that might be taken by governments to control the spread of the virus and to support businesses. So there's there's sort of two aspects there. On, 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 on the one hand, perhaps a negative aspect is some of the measures taken to control the spread of the virus. But on the, on the other hand, there's the measures that have been taken to support businesses in, in, in quite a large number of countries. 
Yes, as you say, though, I think government governments supporting business, helping the economy in this time also then gives rise to lots of accounting. So what sort of thing do people need to think about there? So there are an enormous variety of different arrangements that have been put in place from perhaps government lending directly to businesses that have suffered from the coronavirus uh, or banks, uh, the government lending to banks or perhaps the government guaranteeing loans and receivables from certain customers. In other cases, um, maybe moving outside of um, financial assets and liabilities, tax holidays have been granted on condition that an entity passes on the benefit of that tax holiday to its customers. Uh, And so what that uh, illustrates is that there is going to be no one size fits all accounting answer to these arrangements. I think management will need to understand the terms and conditions of each arrangement to determine the accounting. There might in some cases be a government grant in the scope of IS20, but maybe in other cases it won't be a government grant. So some of the things that management might think about are other terms of the arrangement at arm's length or at market price for that type of arrangement. If something's not at market price, it might imply that there's a government grant. But just because something is at a price different to what the market price was before doesn't necessarily mean that's not the market price or the arm's length um, price that, that, that would apply today. If there is an element of government grant, then it'll be necessary to think about, well, which party is receiving the grant? Is there reasonable assurance that the grant will be received? And then how would the guidance in IAS 20 be applied uh, to account for the receipt of a grant? And that step, so how will an entity account for the receipt of a grant, needs an understanding of what conditions the grant is subject to or what costs the grant is intended to compensate for. Because the model in IS20 typically says, well, you match the benefit of a grant against the cost that it's expected to uh, compensate for. So again, There might be some slightly complex accounting here and disclosure of the judgments and the accounting that's been applied is going to be important. Brilliant, really helpful. Thank you. And like you said, there's so many of these different different schemes. So it's, you know, everything is going to be a little bit thinking about each one in turn and working out how to account for it. We're sort of getting towards the end, but last couple of questions. So what about the impacts on revenue recognition? So implications for revenue recognition yeah there are going to be a couple clearly for many entities revenues have fallen um, as a result of the curtailment of business and the curtailment of movement and so forth and that's simply going to be accounted for as it happens however there are a couple of specific issues that um, that, it, that it's probably worth mentioning um, firstly an entity will only have a contract with a customer Uh, and apply the revenue standard when it's probable that the entity will collect the consideration. Uh, And so to make that assessment, management has to decide whether the customer intends to pay and has the ability to pay. Um, If the contract doesn't fall into the revenue standard, then it's important that management considers the specific guidance in IFRS 15 to decide how it's going to account for the transaction before it falls into the scope of the revenue standard. Um, Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, Uh, IFRS 15 has a very specific model for variable considerations. And I think the impact on variable consideration of what's going on at the moment could be significant. So the model in IFRS 15 says that variable consideration is recognized at expected value, or it's measured at expected value, but it's recognized only when it's highly probable that there will not be a significant reversal of revenue when the uncertainty is resolved. 
So, so what does this mean in, in, in the current environment? Well, variable consideration applies to all sorts of things, rebates, penalties if the company delivers late, volume discounts the company might grant to its customers, variable consideration that arises because the company or the entity gets to share in its customers' subsequent on-sale. So all of those things uh, can give rise to variable consideration. And I, I think the important thing here is that management remembers the threshold, that variable consideration is only recognized when it's highly probable there won't be a significant reversal, and remembers that it may need to revisit the measurement of variable consideration to reflect the current circumstances. And again, it's important to explain the judgments that have been made uh, and maybe the sensitivities that exist. Okay, perfect. So I think we've we've gone through and we've touched a lot on assets, which are, you know, obviously wide ranging aspects, both financial and non-financial. We've ignored liabilities for the moment, but what, what should we be thinking about there? Yeah, so liabilities. Um, there are there are a couple of things that 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 I think that um uh, that management should be thinking about in, in connection with liabilities. Maybe firstly, I'll touch on financial liabilities. Uh, and in many cases, uh, lenders are talking to borrowers. Maybe they're granting them some sort of relief. Maybe lenders have been encouraged by governments to grant some sort of relief. And so the important thing there to remember is the modification guidance in IFRS 9. It just explains how an entity accounts for changes in the the arrangements in terms of maybe when interest is paid or if interest is paid or whether there are uh, changes to the repayment profile. So I think that's the first thing to think about in connection with financial liabilities. In connection with non-financial liabilities, uh, I think it's important to remember the recognition criteria for non-financial liabilities. So if I think about provisions in IS 37, there needs to be a present obligation as a result of a past event to recognize a provision. Uh, and so even if there are some expected costs or some future operating losses, they can't be recognized in accordance with IS 37. Now, I think about some of the other standards, um, there's specific guidance for when you take account of a, a change in tax legislation in IS 12. You have to wait until it's been substantively enacted. There's guidance in uh, the employee benefit standard, IS 19, for when you recognize an employee benefit liability, uh, and particularly maybe in the current environment, a liability for termination benefits. So I think it's important to remember the specific guidance as it applies to the recognition and measurement of liabilities, even if that is not as sort of immediately front of mind as the valuation of assets. Yeah, I think you started this podcast, Tony, saying like, this is pervasive and, you know, there's so much uncertainty and it it just does affect, you know, almost every line in your balance or in your balance sheet, P&L, you need to think about. So hopefully, I, I think you were great, Tony, hopefully this has helped um, people dialing in or listening in to have a high level understanding of some of the considerations they should be making. I think obviously I sound like a broken record I feel like I say this on every podcast, but the key takeaway for me listening to you was around disclosure. There is so much uncertainty. So if you have to make an estimate, then tell people about it, do a sensitivity on it, use IS1. Absolutely right, Ruth. I, I, I think the accounting standards can be applied and people can make judgments, but the important thing is to tell people what you've done. Brilliant. Well, we'll have you back 
as soon as possible, Tony. If you know, I was quite impressed my daughter didn't run and screaming halfway through. So we've done well to record. Um, and we will definitely bring out more podcasts as soon as we can. We also have an in-depth written publication, which is available on Inform. And again, we're trying to get guidance out as, as quickly as we can to help people in this very difficult time. So um, thanks for joining us, Tony. Thank you for everyone listening in. Um, stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.